0: You are listening to The Real Faith Stories podcast. Interviews with people who chose to boldly follow their faith. I'm your host, Brian Robinson. Now, let's meet our guest and hear their story. Stephen, Christian, it's so good to have you on Real Faith Stories. Welcome.
1: Thank you so much, Brian, for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: You are the first person I've ever spoken to that has ever sold over a million copies of their albums. Wow, man.
1: Man. Well,
0: thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. And, and like I mentioned,
1: like, I don't think I'm going to be your last. There's um, so many great artists. That have contributed over the years and have sold that many and more and, and love Jesus with all their heart.
0: And just for the listeners, if you hear any background noise, Stephen is walking around a church that's being constructed in Florida, and you may hear birds and any number <laughs> so of, of other sounds. <laughs>
1: Maybe an alligator here and there. Who knows? Who knows where <laughs> the day
0: may take me? That's right. If I, if I hear you running, I'll know why. <laughs> <laughs> So, Stephen, would love for you to share your backstory on how you got involved in the group and Berlin, and your walk in terms of how you came to faith, sold those records, and then the dramatic shift God has orchestrated in your life to now being in full-time ministry.
1: Man, it has been an adventure. And it's one that if I would have read it prior to starting, I probably would have given up, you know, <laughs> before i <I'd> even <laughs> begin. But God's so faithful. He's so good. And I was fortunate enough to be raised in a Christian home, but I really, really didn't take to the faith right away. To me, there was a lot of questions. I was raised in a church where it just felt like a lot of things were were off. And I'm not going to say theologically or doctrinally off. It just, in my spirit, it just didn't connect all the way. And so about 15, 16, 17, right in that area, I just kind of utilized church as more of a social outlet as opposed to some uh, a form of me drawing closer or having the opportunity to learn more about God. Mm-hmm. And so, kind of checked out, and then right around the age of 17, 18 years old, I, I realized here's my grandmother saying, Hey, you should go on a mission trip. And I thought in my head, it was not a way in which to go tell people about Jesus. It was a way for me to escape the, the mundane life that I would, that is high school in Winter Haven, Florida. And so I thought, yeah, I'll take her money and I will go on vacation. And I went to the Ukraine for two months and I was there in Odessa. And on that journey early on, I, I was in Miami and we were about to take off. Well, how this, this ministry operated was that we put on basically a play in their language, in the, in the, in the Russian language, and hopefully gather people around to watch this. And then after that, we would kind of present the salvation message. Well, as the characters were narrowed down, I was realizing being a 17 year old with long hair was not probably going to play the character of death or the army person that i was hoping but instead i played the role of jesus uh-huh. and being that being that i was raised in a, in a christian home to me i knew i didn't believe you know and i just went up to my hotel room and i i felt like i wrestled with god i began to yell out my hotel window as it was raining and lightning and typical miami evening fashion as i walked back into the hotel room i realized I just had a conversation with God. I mean, at baseline, my subconscious believes in God's existence. And I went to the Ukraine and played this character all the while trying to learn about him. I began to basically start over. Mm. I read the red letters and fell in love with this altruistic Jesus who was all about loving your neighbors. And as James would later say, loving the widow, and widows and orphans, which was pure religion. And that's where my relationship with Jesus Christ really began. And I have made many mistakes since then, but he has been my foundation ever since I was 18 years old. Mm. Well, in Winter Haven, Florida, there is not much to do. You either have the Orange Groves with the Rednecks, or you can go start a band. And so I chose to start a band with a bunch of friends. And we were in clunky punk rock bands here and there. And finally, I went off to college and found, you know, college music and fell in love with different genres and, and just kind of slowly began to take our music in a different direction. We broke ties with the punk rock roots that we had. And some friends of mine from Winter Haven, even though I was going to the University of Central Florida in Orlando, kind of carried on the torch and, and began this group called Amber Lynn. And we were, you know, very, very humble beginnings. We would play here and there in Orlando and Tampa. And, those that kind of area, when, thinking we were big time because we had made it to Atlanta, Georgia one time, and that was exceptional. And from there, we recorded a few songs with Matt Goldman, and he said, "Hey, can I just pitch this around to different record labels?" And we finally ended up landing on an indie label in Seattle, Washington, which was completely changed our lives. And we put out three records with the independent record label Tooth and Nail, and from there went on to Universal Records, where our careers and lives skyrocketed, to say the very least. We had a number one song in America. We put out three subsequent records with them and toured the world. Wow, um, man! It was just a it was just a dream. It was just a dream come true. Well, I was married in two thousand seven. Had my first daughter in two thousand eleven, and my second in two thousand thirteen. And from there, I just began to feel like. Perhaps I was abandoning my first ministry, or at very least, I was widowing and orphaning this family by leaving them eight, nine months a year out on tour. Wow! And it it just began to put a large barrier between my wife and I. And even though we didn't discuss divorce, it was definitely two separate lives that were being lived. And I missed out. I missed out on first words, first little smiles and the first steps and all of that. That's what you do. That's kind of the toll you, you, you pay Mm. to be in a band. So I just, I felt in 2013, 2014, that was the end for me. I just, I loved it. I loved my life. I loved what God had allotted me, but. I, I would much rather be with, with my family. And so t- we played our last show late 2014. And in 2015, I had saved up money from the band for the last year. We were doing quite well and, and just felt like this was going to, you know, allow me to have some stay at home jobs where I could just be home. And January 1st, 2015, I'm working from home on all these three jobs. And by January 31st, all those jobs were gone.
0: In 30 days.
1: 30 days. One wow. was outsourced overseas. What the company that I was making my primary income uh, from folded. And with the songwriting being the third one, even if you wrote a number one song, you would never see that royalty for another year and a half. And so it just felt like all income streams vanished in 30 days. And I had those moments of self doubt. God, I thought you said that I could leave the band. You know, right now I could be touring the world. Right now I could be providing for my family and, and the stress and strain that I'm sure that it puts on. Many primary providers in a family began to kind of take toll and take root. And February and March went by without a job, and I was just faithful to whatever God put in front of me. But it came to the point where I was waking up in the middle of night with my hands hurting because I clenched my fists so tight. And just, just man, I was just so in pain. Like with the stress, I was grinding my teeth, and um, the blood was out of my hands. And so night after night, this would occur. And so one night in March, I finally got so tired of it. And I was just, God, where are you? Like, What am I supposed to be doing? Where are we going?
0: Mm.
1: And God kind of just eluded in my soul, moved a still small voice in my spirit. And he said, your daughter over there, do you think she's worried about the clothes on her back, what she's going to wear tomorrow? Well, no, God, I'm going to take care of that. Well, what about the roof overhead? And by now I'm kind of getting the point. Oh, well, what about the food on her table? And he said, basically in my spirit, just listen, you trust me. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. You keep focused on me, I'll take care of everything else. And so that's kind of where I left it. I handed the responsibility of my future of my provision over to God. And I wish I could say, and the next morning I woke up and I had a brand new job. It wasn't
0: like that.
1: (laughs) It actually took months longer, but I would never woke up again with sore hands because for me, I handed it over to God. It was no longer my responsibility. It was his, he's my father. And I put my trust and faith in him.
0: So Stephen, let's pause at that moment when the Lord showed you that scripture, and showed you your daughters and how he cares for them. And obviously the message is I'm caring for you in the same way if you'll let me. Mm. So what was it? What was it in your mind that shifted in your heart when you realized I'm not clenching my hands anymore? What was that?
1: That's a great question. You know, I think what shifted in my mind was the verse where it talks about you giving good gifts to your children and yet being such just human how much more your father god in heaven loves you and and i just i just imagined god as my father as a dad who just cared about my well-being and everything about me to the point where the burden Mm. of responsibility was gone That, that it just lifted it was on his mantle it was on his shoulder that did not Allow, that wasn't allowing me the freedom to put my feet up on the table and kick back and wait for a spiritual welfare check. It was more saying, get down to it, like work as to, unto the Lord, move forward. And so, yeah, that's just kind of where my spirit was at that moment was mm-hmm. just handing it all over him, working as unto the Lord and putting one foot in front of the next and just saying, This is your responsibility now, God.
0: So you had a real belief shift that it wasn't up to you. You really believed God's word was true. I'm going to take care of you. Trust in me.
1: Absolutely. Because you can memorize those scriptures, but when it comes to applying them, that's something very different. That is something at times very hard for us to truly believe what we've been preaching for years. And that's even as a pastor, I get into moments where I'm just like, all right. If I had to give advice to myself in this counseling situation that I myself am facing, what would I tell myself? And and sometimes it's easier to
0: say than to actually put action behind it. <laughs> I'm laughing because it's so true. It's mm. it's that whole six inches between your head and your heart. You know that shift. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah I, I I totally believe that.
0: Well, what happened after? this experience of the lord showing you this picture of his care
1: so i got a phone call it was probably april right around april in which a friend of mine was like hey we are looking for it now keep in mind i'm living in nashville tennessee i'm from florida where i'm calling you from today where we live back here now Mm -hmm. but i got a friend that called me from new mexico and said hey we're looking for a worship director out here in albuquerque new mexico and i just laughed and i was like you got to be kidding me like number one I'm so disjointed from worship music. I wouldn't know Hill song from hip hop. You know what I'm saying? I just don't, I'm not in that world. I'm not in that environment. And when I, when I think of worship. Music. I'm thinking of like the old Maranatha songs. You know what I'm saying? Well, that's my childhood. That's what we sang when I was a kid. You know, yeah. so I didn't know modern worship existed. I, I was very unfamiliar, just because of the years in the band, the the church that we were attending in Nashville was very small, 150, 200 people, an acoustic guitar and a guy and girl singing. You know, that's what I knew of worship music. I know, so it was the middle of Albuquerque. Just didn't know if I wanted to move my family to the desert. My friend kind of tricked me. He said, listen, how about we just pay for you to come out and guest worship lead one weekend? I was like, absolutely, let's let's (laughs) do that. Free vacation for the family. Everybody wins. And when I landed, when the wheels touched the ground, I knew this is home. This is where we're moving. And everything on that trip confirmed it. For me, mm-hmm. not so much for my wife. I mean, it took basically her laying a fleece out on the ground before God saying, you tell me if I should go, because finally I have a family. Finally, I have a husband home in the community that you gave us, you know, and she would have been living there at that point for seven years without me, with just the kids and her. And so she just felt like finally she was realizing her dream of having her little family in her little house in Nashville, and and I'm trying to uproot that. But but God was very clear, and, and she looks back on it with great fondness to go to New Mexico.
0: Let me ask you, Stephen, what was the fleece that your wife laid out, if you can share that?
1: You know, it was just a financial fleece. It was just her saying, like, basically that we would be able to meet all our bills because she was just, I mean, it was just, you got to think that we were shifting from a major labeled band, which was very successful touring the world, to a ministry job. And as ministry jobs are not going to are not going to pay well, but that's not why we're going to them. We're not we're not moving towards the direction of becoming a pastor to gain the Lamborghini. It's just probably not going to happen in most cases, or at least most healthy cases. But it was just more kind of like, God, are you going to take care of us? Can we survive? Can we thrive with what the church pays? And so the church called back and just said, hey, we can meet that. We can meet your bills. And so Mm. it was just awesome. And I know that sounds like a funny fleece, but I totally understand it because a woman wants to make sure that she's provided for and taken care of that's I hope that's not stereotyping. I would assume the man does too. I would hope the man would say, Hey, you know, I want to make sure my family is provided and cared for. Sure. And so her fleece looked different, but, but also mentors spoke into her. One, one woman came up and said, basically, hey, listen, you're not moving to Albuquerque for Stephen, you're moving for you. And God has a challenge and he is waiting with a prize at the end. So, and then my pastor at the time, Jim Thomas, incredible, incredible orator, incredible pastor. You know, we were sitting there and we go through the Bible as far as like verse by verse, chapter by chapter at this at Village Chapel. Mm-hmm. And there was the moment when oh my gosh is it Silas somebody was called into the desert and and my pastor was like imagine you're living in a healthy thriving town like East Nashville and then god calls you to the desert and all our friends turned and looked at her <laughs> like this is it was an and It was just amazing that this scripture was about this place. And, and Julia just felt, no, we have to go to the desert. We have a season in the desert. It was an incredible moment for us. We worked out there with Pastor Skip Heitzig at Calvary Church. And he is just a profound, profound leader and speaker. And it was a great church. And I really feel like that was the moment when God... You know, opened my heart to ministry, and I realized that I think I will always be in ministry because at no other phase of my life, including selling a million records and all the accolades and all the awards that we received and all this stuff, never did I feel more fulfilled putting my head on a pillow as when I had put my hand to the ministry plow. Wow, And I felt like each day, no matter how mundane, how in the details, how many coffees, how many lunches, whatever the day looked like in in New Mexico, I put my head on my pillow knowing today I made a difference in someone's life. Today, someone is one step, one inch closer to knowing Jesus Christ. And that has made all the difference. It has clarified my why, as Simon Sinek would say, you know, know Mm -hmm. your why. Mm -hmm. It is my why. It's to see people one step, one inch closer to God because I exist.
0: When you made this transition, Stephen, to New Mexico, how many years were you there?
1: We were there for right under four years.
0: Okay. In that four-year period, what was one of your biggest takeaways?
1: Wow. I mean, I don't even know where to begin. I was coming from an opposite world. Yeah. I mean, a completely Opposite selfish, self centered world. And so I had to basically rid myself of who I was. As a man, I've noticed that we tend to become a part of our job. We say things like, Hey, I'm Stephen. And then the next question is, Well, what do you do? What do you, you know, what's your job? We, we, be, we, our identity is in wrap with what we do. It is. I was Stephen from Amber Lynn. I was not Stephen Christian. I was not Stephen the Christian. You know, I was. Stephen from Amberlin my identity had to be sucked out and taken out and and replaced with a child of god you know an heir to the throne
0: so this was a four year identity shift process wasn't it
1: absolutely absolutely it was tough i look back and i think i should have got psychological help i should have been a little more honest i felt like in my heart I can do this, you know, I am master of my mind, I can control all of this, but I feel like I didn't allow myself to grieve. It was a time of life that was in my past, and so I just didn't need to put on this fake facade of like, I've got the world figured out. There's a, There should be a time of grieving of your past and allowing yourself to, to move forward, but also it took, I mean, it, so it took a lot of melting. You know, there was a moment where the church asked me, would you mind go playing some Christmas songs at a local theme park. We're doing kind of a Christian night. Would you go down there and play acoustic guitar? And I and I said yes, because I was just like, man, I I want to humble myself. I want to be there. I want to do this. I want to help the church out in this way. And when I got there, it was a chair, me and an acoustic guitar and a chair along a pathway kind of out of the way. So maybe the entire night, I had 15 people walk by me over the span of me playing Christmas carols for three hours on my acoustic guitar. And my mind was just enraged. Like, dude, you were in front of... 4,000 people in front of this city not too long ago. You played a festival in the next state over for 10,000. You did this. Look at all this stuff. And it just took, it was as if God over the three hours was just telling me to shut up. Wow. You know, it's, do I want to appease men? Do I want to appear strong before men? Or do I want to appease a higher power? It, what's my calling? Is my calling a platform or like a savior? You know, it was moments like that. It wasn't just that night and everything was better. There was, there was consistent moments like that where it was just God just wiping it away, just tearing me down and replacing me with who he wanted me to be.
0: So when you counsel people now, having gone through that process in New Mexico, what do you tell people that come to you and say, man, I feel like my life is being ripped out of my hands because my identity is getting radically shifted?
1: You know, I haven't had that in counseling sessions, but I have had that where other band members who are telling me, hey, man, after 10 years or after five years, I'm quitting the band and this. And I just forewarn them. I tell them of my experience because I don't think there's much more powerful than the experience of saying, listen, you either are going to set yourself up to win and succeed when you leave this band. And by that, I mean, set yourself up with accountability partners, with people in your life that you can be vulnerable and real to, that there's no false humanity humility a part of this, because I think a lot of it for me was false humility. I had to learn true humility. And a lot of it is more kind of like, again, like I said, just I've got this figured out. I am resolved it. I'm, you know, and, and lying to myself and saying my identity is not in yeah. because there is part of you that is still like, I like to be known. I like to be applauded. I'm a type three. And so I want those pats on the back and in no other job, are you constantly applauded as much as the entertainment business? No one comes to your show and pays $50 to heckle you. That just doesn't happen. <laughs> All these thousands of people are coming to cheer, to clap, to sing, to, to engage. I have never had a time where I've preached on stage or sang worship on a stage and walked off and the entire place is just clapping for me and cheering. It's it's not going to happen. And so I, I just kind of forewarn these band members, like your identity, find that in your friends, who you were before the band. It's who you should aim to be after. Did you have some close friends? Were you tight-knit? You know, what about your wife? What about your children? Find your identity in your faith, your family, and your friends. That's who you are, and that's who you're going to be in 10 years from now.
0: That's such good advice. So practical, but so difficult. Because our society, just as you mentioned, it basically worships certain identities, right? And platforms. Yeah, and Although that may seem like life, it's not, because to your point, going back to you being able to lay your head on the pillow at night with absolute satisfaction and confidence that you're making the impact you're created to make in this particular way. So when did you move to Florida after New Mexico? Is that where you went next? Yeah, that's
1: where I went next. And um, I got a job at a, a local church. And the church is an older church it's about one hundred and fifty three years old. They brought me in to be able to revitalize and restructure and reorganize and build the social media and build you know the graphic design team and the communication team and It was tough because I think that we as humans in general don't enjoy change and so I had a very uproad battle ahead of me, but I loved it i Loved it. I felt like, and this is a horrible analogy, but this is how I best describe it. I I saw in the 90s growing up, there was this band called Nirvana, and how single-handedly this one band shut down hair metal. An entire genre was gone based on one band, and I loved that, how it just ushered in a new era. I don't want to say a better era. I'm just saying a new era. And I appreciated that so much. And in my own weird analogy, because I'm a musician, I just wanted to be nirvana to this community. I wanted to make a difference. I wanted to make a change that was lasting. And so for me, I began to do extreme measures. I deconstructed the choir. I I stopped playing less hymns and I played more elevation or or songs that we had written, or Hillsong, and stuff like that. And it just did not go over. So in six months, within six months, I was released from the job. And they said, they walked into my office and said, that's it. It was it was a hard time for me, because I just felt like, you know, we had one, three, five-year plans. And for me, I was already on year three by month five, you know? <laughs> and, and since then, God has learned given me a lot of lessons through there. And I think John Maxwell pointed it out. In his book Twenty One Irrefutable Laws, he basically said, "Listen, if you're a leader and you're taking charge and you're moving forward, and you're look you look back and no one's following you, you're just out for a really long walk." And I love that because that's what I know. I, I had heard that before, but I just never realized the application. I should have used a lot of life lessons. You know, here I am thinking to myself, "I'm doing such a great job," and then not realizing I may be doing too good of a job too soon. But from there. I kicked and I screamed and I yelled at God and once again was just like, where are you? Jesus, I thought you moved me back to Florida. And of course, the impetus to moving back to Florida was because my wife wanted to be understandably near her mother. We were pregnant with our third child and we wanted to raise the kids around my family and her family. But in those moments, I just, again, had the same, it's so funny how we as humans don't learn the lessons. Hmm. We have to repeat the lessons sometimes. God has to continue I, I think it's so funny when I look back in the Bible and and hear the disciples have seen Jesus perform miracle after miracle after miracle. And yet, when it comes to like feeding the people, they ask God, you know, hey Jesus, where are we going to get all the food? If I I just can't believe yeah. Jesus had the utmost patience. And I think that was me. I think that was me. I was just sitting there going, Jesus, where are we going to get food? And he's just scratching his head, like, seriously? Are we, yeah. Are we still talking about this? And so the church was located here in Clearwater. When they let me go, I kicked and screamed for about an hour, picked up the phone and called a good friend at Grace Family Church. His name's Mike Moore is my mentor, and, and just said, hey man, is there any opening? Is there any opening that you have? And he said, absolutely. We would love for you to come join the team. So I went to Grace Family Church. And a year and a half after working there, this past March, I presented an idea that was brought to me by my good friend, Amanda Tress, and she had just said, hey, what about bringing Grace Family to Clearwater, Florida? I went to my pastor and said, what about bringing Grace Family Church to Clearwater, Florida? And he said, yes, absolutely. Let's go after much prayer and much consideration. But I think it's amazing that I was called from New Mexico to come reach young families, 20 to 40 years old here in Clearwater, Florida, God had to allow me to be let go, to to go and join an organization, to end up back in Clearwater trying to reach young families for Jesus Christ. And it's amazing how that God weaves patterns. I mean, one of my friends, Hal Mayer, he, he gave this analogy in which if you look at a weaving and on top, the picture is very perfect. But as soon as you flip it over, there is all these strings, and they just don't make sense. But as soon as you turn it over and you look at it from a distance, you see, God, this weaving is so perfect. Only you could take the the just the fringes and the array of colors and the puzzle pieces and put something together so beautiful that only you could be attributed for the tapestry. I mean, that's just profound. And I feel like that's my life. None of it makes sense until you take a step back and you're just like, God, I see what you're doing.
0: And I think as people listening to this, I would encourage anyone that feels like their life is a mess to take a step back and look. Mm, Yes. What would you say to someone listening right now who's heard your story and is feeling that way?
1: I would absolutely say you've got to, at the core of you, believe that God cares about you. That He truly knows you, that He designed you like this. It's not a deistic God, because I've definitely had those feelings. It's not a God who puts the earth in motion and walks away because he's got something more important to do. No, you are the most important thing to him. He loves you. He cares about you. And it may sound redundant. You've heard it 50 times that if Jesus would have died only for you, he would have done so. And and he knows the hair on your head and he formed you in the womb and all these things. I know the plans and the thoughts for you, but sometimes at the moment of despair, you have to believe when the word you is used in the Bible, he's talking to you, he's talking into you individually and it really had to take some time for me to let that sink in that God heard my cries that God was there in my moments of despair in the valley of the shadow of death he was there on the mountain peaks and the tops and of the purest joy and successes in my life he was there Believe that he will never leave you nor forsake you. And like the end of Romans 8 talks about, nothing can separate you from that love. Mm-hmm. Not Billy Graham, not the best of the best, not the, the singer of the best Christian band or the biggest pastor in America. That's not, it's, it's you. There's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. No height, no depth, angels, demons, heaven, hell, job losses, spouse, loss of a spouse, sickness. Nothing can separate you from God's love. He will never leave you. And I would just challenge you to believe the you in the Bible.
0: Is there anything else that springs to mind, Stephen, that you'd like to share before we finish up with prayer?
1: Yeah. There's going to be a season in life where God takes you to the desert. If you truly love him and he truly loves you, there's going to be moments. There's going to be hardships. There's going to be heartaches. There's going to be seasons, even for Jesus, there was a wilderness experience. And in those moments, you're going to look and you're going to cry out. And like I just said, there's going to be moments where you just feel like, do do I believe this? But I would say that in those moments, realize that God is molding you and shaping you and creating to the, you to be the woman or the man of integrity and character that he wants you to be. And without those hardships, without those struggles, the edges, are not being able to be smoothed. Mm. He's creating you for something. And realize as you look back in your life, understand that perhaps that God allowed you to go through this heartache, not just for you, but because someday you're going to encounter someone who's lost their mother or or was abused in this certain way as a child. And you're going to be there to be able to comfort them and be there for them and love on them in a way that none of the rest of us can. No, God didn't want that to happen to you, but perhaps he allowed it to happen to you so that you can lead someone, your pain could help lead someone to the Lord Jesus Christ for all eternity. And that pain is temporary. You know, it's not going to last forever. In in heaven, there is no sorrow. There is no tears. But you know who will be there are the people that you reached and touched for Jesus Christ.
0: So strong. As we finish up here, Stephen would love to have you pray for our listeners. Oh, and before you do that, how can people find out more about you?
1: Um, there, there's many different ways, but I think the, the best way to find out would just be going to Grace Family Church, or it's gfcflorida.com slash Clearwater. That's the campus that I'm at currently and, and helping to build. But honestly, like as you said that, my wife challenged me this morning. She was saying, hey, listen, <laughs> music is in your past. Your ministry is in your future. So instead of directing people to the band, even though we, we still play shows, we still play festivals and tour, I would love people just to go to Grace Family Church, gfcflorida.com, and find out more about the church if you live in Tampa Bay Area. Or if you have questions about God, please reach out. Please reach mm. out to To any of us here, we would love to see you, like I mentioned before, one step closer to Jesus Christ.
0: Thank you. So if you would, please pray for our listeners as we finish up.
1: Father God, many people, including myself, I sometimes feel that I'm in the valley of the shadow of death, but I'm reminded that I'm not scared of the shadow of a gun. I'm not scared of the shadow of of a knife. There's no, it's just a shadow because you bring everything to light. And God, I pray that the Prince of Peace the great comforter would surround those who people who are listening right now who are in pain, who are hurting, who are struggling with health or finances. Father God, I pray that you would just grant them character. And in the midst of this all, grant them the peace to knowing that you have their future in mind, that there is a There is a purpose to the pain. And Father God, I just pray that you would just open up their eyes so that that they can see the tapestry from another angle instead of seeing the twisted cloth God, that you would allow them to turn that over and see the beautiful picture that their life is becoming and is in the name of Jesus. God, I pray for hope for the hopeless. I pray for those people to have peace in the midst of their war. Father, if there's marriages right now where it just feels like they're at the end of it all, that this is over, that this is the last final moments, before they put this marriage to rest. I pray, Father God, that you would give them enough strength to put the foot right in front of the next one and seek help and seek you and seek each other. I pray for strong communication in marriages in the name of Jesus Christ. And Father, in the midst of all the, the trauma or turmoil that we perceive in the world today, Father, I pray that your will be done. I pray that we would look to you, that we would keep our mind on heavenly things and not just what's happening here, because, Father, what's so important is that we love you with all our heart, soul, and mind, and that we love each other. We love our neighbors. We will love our, those around us in our community and our friend group. And, Father, for no other reason but that we would lead them, we have the opportunity to tell them about Jesus Christ. And, God, give us opportunities. Give us random opportunities in the name of Jesus to be able to tell others about you. Thank you, Father God. And I praise you for this time. I praise you so much for allowing me to even be on this podcast and that something that can be heard around the world and that we be able to share our experiences, our challenges, our hurts, but also our successes. Thank you for being God, in Jesus name.
0: Amen. Stephen, thank you so much for sharing your story. It was so good to hear it.
1: Thank you very much for allowing me to be on it. Hey
0: everyone, thanks for listening.